All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I truly believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood, but the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us aren't just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so that we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, so this next guest is gonna be somebody that I'm not only excited to talk about, but I think is gonna provide a fresh perspective just in terms of his journey. And you don't meet too many people like this dude that we're about to talk to. This guy is a VP of Strategic Account Solutions at a company called Live Person. They're a SaaS organization that deals in the conversational AI space. And he's got some pretty awesome numbers, but his numbers don't define him. He got to seven figures in 2019 for the first time. And in the last few years, he's he sold over $50 million in SaaS solutions. He also heads up a, an awesome community. And the reason why I really wanted to talk to him, he, he founded a, an awesome community called Thrive Space. It's a private community, just passionate about bringing like-minded individuals together where they optimize performance and satisfaction in sales through intelligent design, simple technologies, and also working alongside AI. So I am just so super stoked to bring on none other than Brandon Blue Hardy into the podcast. Welcome, Brandon. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. I, I think a lot of people probably first kind of like take a step back and they're like, wait, 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 like the, 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 I have to talk to uh, figure out what this guy did to, to do these numbers, but we're going to get into that sort of thing. But I'm more so really interested about your views on sales and just kind of like the outcomes and what like your philosophy is behind it. And so we'll talk a little bit about you, the person, how you got to be where you are today. And my first question for you, Brandon, I just want to see where you go with this is, you talk a lot on podcasts about really improving the view of sales as a profession. And so I want to just ask you why you think sales as a profession, as a career, why is it something that kids at a young age should look up to pursuing just as much as athletes, doctors, lawyers, some of these professions that traditionally are revered positions in our economy? Yeah, great question. And I think it comes back to the fact that most sales professionals happen into sales. And there's absolutely certainly the case for me. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not advocating that we need a structured core curriculum that's taught in higher education or uh, an MBA dedicated to sales. Most likely, those programs would not produce the same level of results to someone who did happen to get into sales and just figure things out through life experience and, and business experience. But it's 2021, and I still think that there is an undertone of the salesperson as the poor old guy. I, I feel like, one, it's male, and it's this constant cliche of the used car salesman. I've always felt bad for anybody who makes a living selling used cars. There's really nothing wrong with that. But 
that persona still seems to permeate the when you say sales and there's almost like an unconscious sleaziness to the name sales anything related to sales oh he's a salesperson or she's a salesperson maybe they weren't good enough or couldn't make it in whatever they went to college for whatever they went to school for so that's sort of the driving factor in wanting to elevate the craft of sales and i think that's what it starts with is truly treating sales as a craft yeah on the same wavelength with it and i like the word craft and craft is is lifelong it's something that you're constantly honing you're tinkering with you're never done at no one knows it all at you never master it's something that you are always looking to learn from other people on how to do it. It's an art and a science. And I think that's a, a great word to describe it. I think somewhere along the lines, like salespeople, they've seen something, whether it was something that they've done or in others that they were like, they have that view that you and I do and others do. And I'm curious to go back. And I always love to like hear from guests, like, when did that happen for you? Like early on in your life, maybe yeah. if you can go back at a very early age to, to, to see, I would love to maybe correlate, maybe like yeah. early on, if you thought, maybe something like yeah. that you did got you a result or you got your reaction yeah. out of somebody and how like what you did then still correlates to some of the things you do now like again gang selling millions tens of millions of dollars of deals i feel like there might be some threads there so i'm curious to to see where you could make some connections yeah so if i think i i rewind and going back to my first conscious deal i was probably 5 years old and I was in a Kmart and I really I was with my mom and my grandmother and I had picked up a toy fire truck and I really, really, really wanted it. And for whatever reason, my mom did not want me to have that fire truck and I didn't do anything other than just stay perfectly still. And this is not consciously, at least that I can remember but a small tear came running down my eye <laughs> and my, my grandmother picked it up and said, I'm getting this for him. Uh, I didn't make a stink out of it. I wasn't crying. I wasn't like uh, wailing out of annoyance. It was just like one simple reaction. And who knows, maybe that was the spark, but my mom likes to tell that story a lot. And, and I do actually remember that situation. And um, I don't know, maybe something you know, sparked in me that, hey, getting a desired outcome can be something very, very human here. So that's my first conscious recollection of closing my first deal. I love it that you did. You closed it. I hope you still have it somewhere. Maybe you I wish, have a picture. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> that would be wish. something to look at all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so kind of like, okay, I love that because it stays with us at a young age. Those memories are burned into us. Like, hey, we can actually yeah. affect change. We can actually do subtle things to get people to totally make a different decision than they would have done. And that was like, as a kid, like, I think kids are the best salespeople because they yeah. can just be themselves and ask. And I mean, people want to keep them happy. They're, they're everything to them at that point. They don't know that they're like consciously doing it maybe, but they have no idea what sales is, but they have, they're consciously trying to make asks and they're not afraid to make asks. And 
uh, they just go for it and it's all emotional, right? They don't know logical reasons or cost or ROI or anything. So when in your career, Brandon, did you, I mean, yeah. you say you, most people happened into it. Like, how do you define happened into it? Because I feel like sometimes like we we say that like, yeah, like people just, you know, kind of, I, I was, it got put on me or, you know, I was looking for a job and, it, you know, I was in this and they just said, I'd be good for that. And they just put my name for it. But then I feel like we were probably doing things that were selling abilities long before maybe we had the title. So were there things early on in your professional career that maybe you think served you well? And then how did you get ultimately into happening into sales? Yeah. Again, all, all great questions to investigate. And when I say happen, I mean, it was the turning point where I embraced it as a profession. But I absolutely agree with you that it's a humanistic approach to SEP and we all do it in any shape or form in any role. So fast forward, you know, obviously that was a fun example. It means a five-year-old getting a, a toy fire truck by, you know, shedding a tear. But throughout my youth, I've been able to sell myself. And I think it was always a combination of even though maybe I didn't feel confident, I was confident in the cause. And, you know, as a teenager, I really got serious about playing soccer and I had to sell the concept of playing soccer at an elite level to a lot of people, to my parents, to want to convince them to you know, drive me several hours or multiple states to compete in tournaments, to get into college and play soccer in college to eventually try to convince getting a professional soccer team in Romania to take me on for a year to give me a trial uh, to try to earn a contract. So those were all things I had to sell. And again, I, I wasn't conscious of it, but those were sort of the building blocks, I think, where I was starting to build my sales muscle. And then really the first role, and again, I didn't consider myself yet in a sales position, but fast forward, you know, in my early twenties had the chance to go play in Europe, unfortunately ran into some injury issues, eventually went back to school. And when I finished, I landed in Long Island, New York, and I was asked to join a soccer education startup. And we were all top American players who had played collegiately and professionally and we had a mission of giving back to the American youth players. So we designed a really interesting way to train using a small ball, very specific method. And we had huge ambitions to, to take that franchise at possibly, but it was my first taste in an entrepreneurial venture that was tied to something I knew and cared about. And ultimately, when I joined that company very quickly, I got into a sales role. I was charged with our small group and one-on-one -on -one personalized training, and I sold those packages. But again, I didn't consider myself, oh, I'm a salesperson, I'm selling. I was just doing, I was just doing my job, what I thought was the right thing. And I felt very happy in, in doing it because if I wasn't going to be playing, well, I wanted to be involved in the game somehow. And this was like the next best thing. And so that really was me in going through the profession of sales, you know, trading, 
knowledge and I wouldn't call it convincing, but presenting an option for parents to trade their money and their children's time to, to get involved with. And um, yeah, did that for like four years. First hard entrepreneurial lesson, ask for equity. Didn't ask for equity. The, the company was eventually sold. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. And then I moved on to another venture of mine. I started working at Scratch DJ Academy in New York City, uh, which is co-founded by Jam Master J of Run DMC. It was a DJ school first and foremost, but there was this emerging portion of that company where they were outsourcing their DJ talent to mix background music for the likes of Gucci, for the likes of Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. And we would sell those packages. And, and that's what I was brought on. My first role truly in sales as an account manager to both manage our existing accounts and grow new ones. And that was the first time I was like, whoa, okay, this is sales. And I remember getting my first sales books and starting to read up on the, on the topic and like, okay, I'm in sales now. Yeah. I love those stories. Um, I, I want to drill down to like, what do you think if you could kind of like bring some commonalities? So let's talk about like sales techniques yeah. and what you were doing at, to sell yourself to a Romanian soccer team to take a chance on you and to do that and to you know, sell your parents even to take you around. And then, you know, you're just kind of like, you're, you're presenting to parents, but ultimately you're like connecting some value that they need, you know, for their return on investment. If you can think back at like some of the things you did. So if people yeah. are listening to this that are like looking to apply some things, just general concepts of sales, like, can you kind of point to a couple things that you think you were doing in, in those different positions that people might be able to glean something from? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the first rule of good sales that I still live by today is to stop selling. Again, I never consider, even to this day, I am very much in a, a specific role designed to deliver bookings of really high elite level, but I don't consider myself particularly a great salesperson. I'm good enough in the multi-dimensional facets and back to our earlier point, the second thing is being curious and adopting more of a learning mindset versus a performance mindset has particularly helped me to sustain being in sales. And I would say actually has sustained, ironically, high level performance because I don't focus so much on performance. I see it more as an outcome. So going back to like all of those earlier instances, I wasn't selling anything. I was presenting my case and it was mm. delivered with confidence. Again, maybe I didn't fully believe that I had what it took to be a professional soccer player at first division club in Europe, but I believed I had a shot at it. So that confidence was one piece. The belief was a second piece where I could present just the beliefs in a very digestible way, which is, you know, for me being fact-based. And then the third, I would say the passion. There was enough passion for me to, to really look at somebody in the eye and they knew. 
they knew that this wasn't a bluff. They knew that this wasn't something that I was going to half-ass. I was committed. So first rule, again, you're not selling, you're communicating, you're collaborating, you're having an interaction with another human being. And all the things that we as humans convince us to want to trust and believe and get behind, those are all the same high qualities. Uh, There's really no rocket science here behind elite sales performers. And I think you're, you're spot on that that also extends to great business leaders, that extends to great marketers, that extends to athletes, that extends to musicians, it extends to uh, somebody cleaning a pool and still being able to do it 10 years later because they love doing that. Everybody sells and it's those human qualities that if you can sort of tap into that and be in the moment and do it because it's all natural and it fits. Mm -hmm. And if you can align that with really what you enjoy doing, I mean, that's when you're, I think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's when you're getting up to the top of the pyramid and you're getting to like the self-actualization portion of it. And along the way, right, you're going to get the prestige and you're going to get the esteem, just the leaderboard stuff. And the, and those things will be intoxicating. You'll, you'll get the dopamine hits from those things, but that's not what's going to sustain you over the arc of a long lifetime. You know, those are just, again, ancillary benefits. Those are outcomes. I relate to you saying that about belief and confidence and, you know, being curious and it comes through. What I hear from you is that you weren't even thinking you were selling early on, but you were. And even when you were, you just kind of realized it in yourself. It wasn't, I have to do this, or I've been doing this. And the outcome is just kind of as a result of all those things that you're doing when you are just really in it for that other person, you are are truly passionate. That belief gets transferred. I've heard sales is the transference of, of belief, but you know how you do it is really kind of what I think is really interesting to me because everybody does it slightly different ways. One of your passions is just kind of like really putting together like a, a really optimized process for you on a daily basis. And, and yeah. after COVID, and I've heard you talk on other podcasts about you know, your routines and all that. And we don't have to get into all that stuff, but how do you, you know, and I know you have a community and you do one-on-one coaching kind of, how do you bring that out in people? Like how they go about really transferring that belief, how they go about the approach of really being an elite performer in and we're talking about sales, but this I'm sure can really apply to anything that they do. How do you bring that out in people? Because I'm sure there's a lot of yeah. maybe, I don't know if the convince is the right word, but coaching and developing that you're doing with people in that uh, one-on-one coaching capacity. So kind of how are you bringing that out in people and you know, what does that look like? Yeah. So the first thing I do is I don't guide anyone to sell better. I guide them on how to operate better. I mean, you know, you know, there are so many experts out there. I'll leave that to others to talk about sales process. It seems to be something that's maybe a little overdone. Certainly it's, it's something that I experience. I don't necessarily follow a specific sales framework or philosophy to a T, but it, 
what I have found, you know, for me over the arc of, of 20 years and really over the past year and a half with the pandemic coming, that's sort of been an inflection point of really focusing on an optimized schedule because it was forced upon me, you know, before being on a plane practically every week, juggling time zones, you honestly don't have time to think about, you know, am I as healthy as I can be? Am I, you know, as happy as I can be? So I started asking the sort of the deep questions because again, you have that solitude, you have that quiet time. And, you know, what, what I've come to discover is, again, the way I operate is more important than, and, and some of the KPIs that come along with that, again, not to get too jargony, but I will look at things like sleep, for instance, as a better leading indicator of how well I'm going to perform that week versus how many activity metrics that I'm following. So it's those kinds of things where that can be applied to anything. If you want to become a solopreneur and you want to build your personal brand, those are the kinds of things that take a system. You know, you need almost like a personal operating system of how do I create success and apply that into whatever effort or endeavor I want to do. And the simplest things that I have found is health over hustling. Hustling is going to lead to burnout. It's a dirty word in my book. Hustling for me, just to define it, means you're working hard when you don't necessarily want to because it's dictated by someone else. Craft for me is working hard and long hours and being okay with it because you enjoy doing it. Just like a pianist can't pry themselves away or that chess player can't pry themselves away because they love what they're doing and they're, they're curious about improving if it's just by 1% day after day. And so how do you create an operating system for yourself, right? That optimizes your mindset, your environment, your approach and your routines so that you can just show up and execute. So that's what I've been maniacally really experimenting with, tinkering with over the past almost two years at this point. And um, it's, uh, it's certainly been good on my sales career. It's been you know, a great past seven months closing you know, significant business, personally benefiting uh, from an annual income standpoint. But um, the real simplicity to it is I start my day pretty much the same way, my workday. I end my workday the same way. And in the middle, I try to give myself as much slack and flexibility as possible. Again, not to get too frameworky here, but you know, I call it DFC. So in the morning, I have a morning routine. Ideally, it's 90 minutes. I give myself 90 minutes before checking my first email or taking my first meeting. And it's actually just priming my brain, learning, getting ready so that the first thing I do is tackle the hardest thing. And that requires discipline. Like a world-class athlete, they know the exact routine to get themselves ready for competition or a hard training session. So that's the D, that's the discipline. During the middle of the day, 
well, you need to dial in more to the flexibility portion because there are going to be things out of your control. You can't control inbound call, inbound lead, a meeting last minute getting set up, something you you weren't expecting on a sales cycle or a project going awry, but you still have the framework that you've already put in place for yourself through your operating system. But by being flexible, like an artist, when I think of like a really creative artist, I think of like a dancer or a painter or an actor or a musician, they get in a zone. And so they're in flow state. And so coming out of that warm up, that athletic routine, then you can transition into sort of operating like an artist where I'm sort of in the, the flow state and I'll be a bit more flexible to whatever comes my way and I'll be able to adjust because I'm in the moment. And then at the end of the day, that's when I flip over to see being curious like a scientist. And that's when I'm going to look back on my day, evaluate it without any emotion, because a good scientist uses data. They look at things objectively and they're not afraid to tinker and experiment. So that's my laboratory time to just sort of look back on the day hey, you set out to do these things. Did you actually accomplish them? Could you even quantify like how you, you know, met or did not meet your intentions for the day? And then, you know, the very last thing I do as my workday, every single workday is plan tomorrow so that I show up and I know exactly what to do tomorrow following that DFC type of approach. And over time, it just becomes automatic. And over time, the outcome is consistent success, closing deal after deal after deal. And you're not top of the pyramid. You're not at the, oh, I'm doing this because I make tons of money. I do this because I want to be in President's Club. Oh, I do this because I want to be number one. It's just, you're doing it because you love what you do. You love your craft. And my craft is I'm a professional seller, but I'm also trying to be the best human possible. And that's what makes me an awesome professional seller. It's like less about like what your outcome is. Like you said, the, the results, the, the end goal, it's like, it's, it's more internal. It's like less extrinsic. It's more intrinsic. It's yes. more about who you are than less about what you need, what you're working even towards like the goal, you know, that is the, the result of all of that intense introspection and intense observation about what you're doing and what your activity is like. And, and it, it could be different for everyone. What you do yeah. is not going to be the same for every single person, but that framework can be applied, I think, to everyone in just being, again, like that best human being, that best person that you can be and always selling. Let's be honest, like when you are that best person, people are attracted to, to people that are interested in them and that are taking that much detail to who they are, then if they're taking that much detail to themselves and what their objectives are for their clients, and just that alone will attract people to you because they know that that intention is there and they can see it. That just it rubs off. And it's like you said, natural. It's not, you know, you're not manufacturing it. It's not checking off a framework checklist or a sales performance checklist, you're becoming that person that you want to be, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly it. And I get excited about my routines. Like tomorrow, I can't wait because it feels so satisfying to just, okay, what am I going to learn tomorrow? Because it's already there. What am I going to create tomorrow? Because it's already built in to my system. And I leave a little bit to crave for the next day because I know I've got 25 minutes. I can set a timer, my Pomodoro timer, big believer, Google it, Pomodoro technique. I can set that timer for 25 minutes. And if I'm contributing to my book or creating the first product or creating a proposal, I know like when that timer's off, done, I move on to the next thing. And if that's a part of my, my morning routine, it just keeps me really excited. And then I'm on to the next part of my routine, which is maybe I listen to a podcast. Maybe I'm reading a new book and I get excited about learning and feeding that curiosity. I know whatever I do, right? Versus being instantly reactive on Slack or email or social media. The first thing is by being in a learning mode, a state of acquiring knowledge, because I'm like going through this prescriptive routine, just like that world-class athlete knows how to get all their muscles fired up and be ready to sprint a world record 100 meter sprint. That's kind of what I feel like these are. And they, they, they ritualize that. And I'm going to ritualize that routine at the beginning and the end of the day. And then I know I can operate in a very Zen-like calm flow state during the day. How could you not achieve good things? How could you not end your workday satisfied? How does that not parlay into better relationships with your family, with other people? How does that not parlay into resting and sleeping well that night? And then it becomes this constant flywheel of, oh, well, I don't have things keeping me up at night because of my my ritual in the evening as a scientist who's gotten everything out of his head and has put it down in a trusted place and can sleep well. And with quality sleep, I'm going to have more energy. I'm going to feel better. And it just becomes, again, this constant wheel of momentum that just keeps driving you forward. And then you discover new things about yourself and you start to open up new doors you didn't think were possible. And you start breaking through barriers and you just keep going, you keep going. Then you're excited about tomorrow and, and you just keep going. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm picking up a lot of stuff myself off of this. Cause I am someone who always says, I'm not a process person. Like I just, I can't, you know, jot down all this stuff in my day. And like, I write down lists and then I don't go back and refer back to them and, and then actually measure like, what did I not do? How did I feel about it? Where am I at? Why didn't I finish it? Like, you know, it has to be a routine. It has to be a habit. It has to be something that you, like you said, you look forward to doing and that you're always driving to, you know, become better. And and that's, you know, it's just, it's something your, your mind subconsciously is, is thinking about throughout the day, like what your uh, objectives are, how to make that day the best day that it can be. And I think that for everyone listening, just like, just if you don't do this already, just find a simple way to do it. Like Brandon gave you a framework, you know, have discipline, you know, sit down and kind of, you know, begin and end your day, try to get on some type of routine to do it. And then, you know, kind of give yourself some flexibility too, like within the day, like you you coined the term, I heard it, the flexibility. 
seems like an oxymoron, but it's not. It's like, you have to have both. You have to have a discipline to things you're going to do, non-negotiables every day, but then also like, you know, leave room for things to to happen in your day because they will, you know? Exactly. Yeah. We're humans again. So, you know, we're always taught in sales, have empathy for others, but we got to have that empathy with ourselves too, especially in these these really weird times that we're in right now where burnout is really a real issue. Mental health is a real struggle, uh, especially in, in the sales community. So people are you know, two to three times uh, more likely to suffer from, from mental health issues than the normal person. And that's already heightened for everybody, all the confusion around this. So yeah, I think it's extremely critical to, to sort of Take that time, give yourself the love that you need, that self-love. And what I found too, this is another sort of guiding principle is when you put yourself first, even though it seems like it's selfish, go ahead and be selfish because when you prioritize your health, you put these routines first and prioritize them. You just naturally, as we, we sort of illustrated, you naturally give more to others. You can give more to your family. You can give more to your prospects and clients. You can give more to your coworkers and teammates by prioritizing yourself and setting up boundaries. It's okay to say no. Yeah, it's so true. Before I let you leave, I have to ask you just a lot of people are probably wondering about like, I don't even know anybody that's sold as much as this guy. How does this guy get through a day without going crazy? Because some people in transactional sales or not even in sales at all, they feel like, oh, it's so scary. Like just, you know, having your whole salary, you know, your whole life based on a bunch of sales. But for you, it's strategic. You're you're dealing with like Fortune 10 accounts and brands and your deals are millions of dollars and you lose one of them and that could make or break your entire year, potentially, maybe, I don't know. But can you talk to us about staying grounded? Because I'm, I'm looking at you, you can't, yeah. all of you can't see Brandon, but the dude looks real calm, real chill. <laughs> He's got some, you know, his DJ booth in the background, his hair's <laughs> perfectly, you know, manicured. He's just, looks like, you know, just any old day, but this guy's got a quote on him, probably tens of millions of dollars. And I, I for a lot of people, that would be nerve wracking. So like, what do you do? What advice of people and maybe take the the person like you that has that huge quota and maybe the person that's just like not even in sales, like how can they get over their fear of it? And what yeah. advice do you have for, for both groups? The person who is, you know, really in high stakes and somebody that's just like trying to break in or doesn't even realize they're in sales, how to yeah. get over their fears about it. Yeah. So I was that person, right? You know, I was the person who, I mean, I was broke. I've dealt with depression. I've dealt with anxiety, bankrupt. I mean, I've struggled a lot in my early adulthood. And again, I can only speak for for myself personally, but I didn't give up belief in me. I always knew that things could be better. So I think that belief was always something that not only I could cling to, but again, others could cling to when I had interaction with them. And so just don't give up on the belief. Things can get better if you, again, are deliberate and give yourself the space to be introspective. 
for some people, that's writing. For some people, it's faith. For other people, it could be meditation. It could be yoga. It could be exercise. I really get into a nice headspace when I'm on a bike. I love, love cycling. And a lot of things just sort of melt away when, when I have that solitude mixed with you know pushing myself physically. So find those moments of peace for yourself where you can connect with that belief so it doesn't get too far away from you. That would be my advice to those who are figuring things out. We're all figuring things out. Believe me, someone who's earned millions of dollars in SaaS sales over the past few years, you know, it did not know that that was possible in being, having to jump the New York City turnstiles to get on the subway just to go to work <laughs> because I couldn't afford reloading my Metro card sometimes. I was literally living paycheck to paycheck. And the paycheck was usually my second job as a DJ, getting all cash. And once I got the cash, went all to paying back rents. <laughs> so just don't lose the faith and the belief in yourself. And then, you know, once you like, again, climb the pyramid, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and you're getting in that, that elite performance, and you're getting the status, and you're getting people to come to you, then it becomes less subgen about the money or being on leaderboards and competing so much the competitions with yourself and it's with driving yourself forward. How do I get to the top of the pyramid? How do I truly become a self-actualized human being? And for me, that what helps keep me calm is the side project that I've set up, which is kind of giving back. You know, one thing I want to correct you on, I don't do any coaching. I'm not doing any sort of paid coaching or anything. One, I just don't have the capacity or the time for it, but I do try to do one-on-one -on -one mentoring. And I, I think that's one, I selfishly, I get something out of it. I always learn something when I'm teaching others. I think we all hear that constantly. You learn better by teaching. And so this is that moment. I mean, even though I have a VP title, I'm, I'm still an individual contributor. So I don't really have a team that I manage. So mentoring is a way for me to help teach others and learn in the process. So that's why I do it. And be focused, live great is this side projects that's hoping to create, as you mentioned, Thrive Space, uh, which could be a community and a product that will be the, the long-term output of people coming together, wanting to optimize their performance. And that's everything that I'm all about. So that's what keeps me calm. And I don't get too stressed about the stuff because it's, again, for me right now, it's not about the, the money or the numbers. It's more about how do I operate at the, the best of my ability and can I eventually teach others to be able to do the same, to, to be able to repeat that. And that's my drive. That's what yeah. keeps me going. Seems like you focus less on the actual winning or losing of the deal, even though I'm sure you want to win everything and you feel like you can, but you're focused on, yeah, trust the process, like what you're going to do. And and you're not going to win everything. And I'm sure you've maybe had to have lost a huge deal in your career. Every salesperson has, right? You feel like you should have won, but you, if you're focused on that process, like you can look back and say, okay, where has it gotten me? What do I need to tweak? Do I need to tweak anything or just continue on? You know, that's not a reflection of this operating system, that one loss or that one misstep you know, as long as you're, again, yeah, like you said, deliberate and you're 
you're always looking at it and you know what you can you know slightly tweak with it or what's what's effective what's not that over time will eventually pan out i think maybe yeah. that's kind of what's going on with you absolutely and and you're going to have a higher ratio the more you sort of dial in you know get very specific my closing ratios are at 78% but yeah that means still lost over 22% of of the opportunities that i work and if I were completely in athletic mode, disciplined, I might get really frustrated more times and I actually might lead to even lower closing ratios because I would be in that mindset of, I shouldn't have lost that because I'm now kind of this emotional person at the end of competition. Whereas I try to put myself into, it's just like a sales cycle too, the way I approach a work day. At the beginning, I need to be disciplined and set myself up for success, getting in in the routine, get everything set up throughout the middle of the sales process and cycle. uh, Same thing for any project out there. That's when you're going to need to be flexible. You got to learn, can't be so rigid in front of a prospect. You've got to be able to adapt, right? To hearing one thing and then being able to, well, I thought we were going to come in with this type of suggestion or solution. Nope, I need to to adapt that. So you will succeed more by being flexible in that manner. But then at the end, win or lose, you've got to take those hats off, right? And artists and athletes can go both get a little emotional and get a little protected about their performance. That's when you got to go into the laboratory as a scientist and be as objective as possible and say, then it's becoming data points. And you're just looking almost in a very stoic manner of, well, we lost this and and we can kind of pinpoint to uh, losing this deal because this happened. What if we did this next time? And so by tinkering and being curious about not upset about losing or even winning, you're just focused on everything playing out it played out. So it's already done. So you might as well sort of understand why things went a certain way. I think the combination of all three of those things, that's how you can have an extremely high closing ratio and stay calm and just know like tomorrow, I know exactly what's kind of happened. Right. And I can, I'm excited about embracing it and I can't wait to embrace it. So that to me, it's what I've learned and, and that's what's working for me. And I think, again, it's simple enough that others can apply it in their own lives. Totally. Yeah. Wow. I, I think there's a lot that could be said for things that can sustain you. You're not like playing a finite game. It's a system that can serve you always mm-hmm. throughout your career, through different positions, through different walks of life. It's a mindset thing that some people may be afraid, like, oh, that's that's complex to bring into my day, all that deliberate like tracking and yeah. measuring. And that is like I'm I'm someone who resists the structure, resists yeah. like the measurement maybe of it. But structure I like if it's simple for me to to kind of make my own. And I think what your philosophy is, find it something that's repeatable, something that, you know, again, you can be delivered at, something that becomes a habit and something that ultimately helps you be introspective and 
that you're passionate about going back to each day. It has to be fun. It has to be something yeah. you're excited to see and do or else you're just not going to do you're it. You're not going to do it. Exactly. And that's the fun part of personalizing that because it's going to be different for everyone else. I might geek out on certain data like health data from my wearable, which some of that might be really important, right? Is making sure that you're sleeping enough, right? And you're not getting into crazy sleep debt. But I might take it a step further and like go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. What causes my HRV to be high? You know, is it taking melatonin and is it eating four hours before bedtime instead of two and a half hours? So I'll geek out on those kinds of things. But for somebody else, yeah, like I don't care, right? I just want to feel better. And so, yeah, it's about personalizing. But I don't think anybody could go wrong with being disciplined in the morning, being flexible throughout the day, and curious at the end of your workday. You apply those three things, you know, I bet my next commission check that you will find more peace and satisfaction and success in whatever it is you do if you apply it consistently. I like it. That's a huge bet, I imagine. And, uh, <laughs> all of you listening, I, if you don't do it, then you can't win. But if you yeah. do it, you're, you're not going to win uh, the money either because you will feel, feel better, I, I imagine. Yeah. And I'm going to try it myself. Brandon, as we close out, I ask everybody a question about themselves because you know, through this, we found out a lot about you. We found out like you are a geek around optimizing yourself, kind of your mental health and your, your routines and your days and you're keeping it simple. But this is just like kind of a fun story for you to connect to others and for people to connect to you and what makes you you. And the question is, if I could ask you something, what is something that could only and would only happen to Brandon Fluharty? What would that one thing be? It could be an event. It could be something in your life. It could be something just, just unique to you. But if I asked your friends and family, maybe something that is just so totally Brandon and would only happen to you, what would that thing, that event be? <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is jumping the turnstiles and being bankrupt seems just like yesterday to earning over a million bucks a year selling software as a service today, that seems sort of like uh, one of those miracle stories. And to go from, I guess, not to be cliche, but to be very cliche, rags to riches in a short time frame, that's one thing. But two, to maintain a higher calling to not getting caught up in those things because they really are on the surface to still be committed and stay humble throughout all that, I think would be what other people would say is unique to, to me. Awesome. I like it. That money can, you know, really change people. And that is really a noble thing to say for sure. Brandon, we're closing out. Where can people just hear more from you? Just uh, stay connected to you. What do you want people to uh, kind of uh, do after yeah. this if they wanted to stay in touch? Uh, definitely connect with me and follow me on LinkedIn. I am most active there than anywhere else. And if you are curious about what this future project is called Be Focused, Live Great, just go to BeFocusedLiveGreat.com 
and um, yeah, explore it. And I have a link there called join the movement. And we're, we're trying to build a community around this concept of optimizing your life through work life integration. So would love for, for more people to participate in that and uh, come aboard. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brandon. I will definitely put in the notes. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, my man. Yeah. And look forward to staying connected. This was great, Alex. Thanks Thank you. Hey, gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.